Volume Two, Chapter Ten of the Old Manor House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Old Manor House by Charlotte Turner Smith, Volume Two, Chapter Eleven. Orlando found Monimia alarmed and dejected but hardly giving himself time to reassure her and account for his long absence he besought her to hasten to her room i hope said he and believe the house is quite uninhabited on this side still for all the servants are in the hall my brother is missing and i have promised my father to find him and conduct him home what a task for i know not where to look for him not a moment must be lost since my family are in such cruel alarms however i will wait here my monomia till i think you are safe in your turret and then i set out i know not whither on this search monomia hastened to do as he desired but is betty said she in the hall i have reasons which i have not now time to explain for believing they are together i know not answered orlando whose fears every moment increased i care not what happens if you are but once in safety monimia then with light and timid steps passed through the adjoining parlour she found all that end of the house deserted and regained the long passage which led her from turret to the apartment of her aunt all was quiet and she flattered herself that mrs leonard occupied by the attention necessary to be shown to the guests had for once omitted the ceremony of locking the doors of that part of the house and particularly hers at the usual hour in this hope she tripped along the passage and had just reached the door of her own room when mrs leonard with a candle in her hand appeared at the other end there was no hope of escape she stood trembling unable to open the lock which she held in her hand while her aunt with a hasty step and an angry countenance advanced towards her heyday madam cried mrs leonard pray what makes you here so dressed too i assure you i thought i had ordered you not to leave your room pray thee miss where have you been and how have you dared to disobey my orders dear aunt cried the affrighted monimia in a voice almost inarticulate through fear dear aunt be not so very angry every year till now you were so good as to give me leave to go into the hall gallery to look at the dancers for a quarter of an hour i dressed myself in hopes that some time in the evening i should see you here to ask leave it grew very late you did not come to my room and so and so hussy you left it without did you monimia unwilling to advance another direct falsehood remained silent and mrs leonard fixing her fierce inquiring eyes upon her said sternly monimia 
there is something in your conduct which I do not understand. I suspect that you are a very wicked girl. I have had hints given me more than once that you are imposing upon me and ruining yourself. How can I impose on you, madam? said Monimia, who, believing the crisis of her fate was now approaching, tried to collect a little spirit. How can I impose upon you? Do you not always confine me to my room? And have I any means of leaving it without your consent? That is what I am determined to discover, cried Mrs. Leonard. Monimia became paler than before. You have a false key, or you have some other means of getting out. However, it is not at present a time to inquire into this. Go now, madam, to your room and to your bed. Having seen you here is enough to convince me that the intelligence I have had given me is not without grands. Come, miss, as you may perhaps choose to set out again, if you have, as I suspect, the means of opening the door, I shall wait here till you are in bed and take away the candle. Monimia, who dreaded nothing so much as that Orlando might ascend the secret stairs in order to inquire if she were safe while her aunt was yet with her, hastened to undress herself, and as she feared that, if all were silent in her room, Orlando might speak without the door, which would inevitably discover them at once. She wished for the first time in her life that the copious stream of eloquence with which the pleasure of scolding always supplied Mrs. Leonard might now continue in full force. She therefore contrived to say something which she imagined would produce this, and she succeeded. Provoked at Monimia's attempt to excuse or defend herself, and impatient at being kept from the party below, in which she considered herself, now that her lady and the guests were withdrawn, as the first figure, Mrs. Leonard spared not her lungs, nor was she very nice in the choice of those epithets which most forcibly expressed her anger against her niece. In the midst of this harangue, Orlando, impatient to know whether Monimia was safe, and unable to set out in search of his brother till he had obtained this satisfaction, softly ascended the narrow stairs and in a moment was convinced that all their escapes during this perilous evening had ended in a complete discovery of their intelligence, for to nothing less could he impute the fury in which Mrs. Leonard appeared to be. Under this impression, his spirits and temper, quite exhausted by the various perverse accidents that had within a few hours befallen him, irritated by frequent disappointment, and indignant at the insults to which he believed Monimia was at the moment exposed, he was on the point of bursting into the room, declaring his affection for her, and meeting at once the invectives of her aunt, the renucation of all his hopes from Mrs. Rayland, and the displeasure of his own family. He blamed himself for not having before taken a step which, whatever might be its future consequence, would at least be decisive, and save Monimia from those cruel alarms and distressing conflicts 
to which his love had so long made her liable. But at the moment that his hand was lifted to execute this rash purpose, the storm within seemed to abate. He heard Mrs. Leonard say, I assure you that the very next time I see or hear the least grounds for believing you are carrying on such a correspondence, that day shall be the last of your stay under your roof. This gave Orlando hope that they might not be absolutely discovered, and at the same moment the idea of his father made more unhappy and deploring the fate that gave him two sons equally careless of their duty, of his beloved and affectionate mother weeping at the disobedience of her children, arose forcibly to check his precipitate resolution. He hesitated, he listened. Mrs. Leonard spoke lower, but still in a tone of remonstrance and reproach. He determined to wait to speak to Monimia after her departure but she seemed not likely to depart, and as he attentively listened to what he could not now very exactly distinguish, the terms in which she expressed her indignation, he heard several voices calling him in the park. This was a new alarm, to issue from the lower part of the turret at such an hour, when it was impossible he could have any business there, was not to be thought of, yet the door was not closed, and he believed it was improbable that the people who were he apprehended in search of his brother might at length seek him there, as his intoxication, when he was missing, might lead them to imagine that he might have gone into some of the buildings and have fallen asleep. He descended, therefore, and waited at the door, the voices were now at a distance, and apparently being near the apartment of Mrs. Rayland, the persons who had before called aloud were afraid of disturbing her. He seized this opportunity of escaping, and following the sound which was still heard at intervals, he met at length the groom and the underfootman, who told him that Mr. Philip Somerive had returned about a quarter of an hour before into the room, where he was now so extremely riotous that he had got into a quarrel with one of the young farmers, that he had stripped to box, and that every interposition of theirs only served to enrage him more. They therefore besought Orlando to return into the hall, that he might appease and prevail upon his brother to go home for that their lady, already alarmed by the noise, had sent down orders to have the house immediately shut up, and for the people to depart. A thousand times during the course of this evening had poor Orlando extricated his own folly, that had thus brought his brother into a house, where, while he had been such an unceasing torment to him, he had probably effectually ruined himself but there was now not a moment to give way to these repentant reflections. He hastened, therefore, into the room where his brother, awakened from the stupor of drunkenness into its most extravagant frenzy, had taken some offence at a young man of the company, 
and was now withheld only by the united strength of three stout farmers from fighting. Orlando, for some time, argued and implored in vain. The fury of Philip only changed its object, and was directed against him. But with his opponent, whose blunt English spirit was not, as he declared, at all disposed to yield tamely to the insults of any squire, no, not the biggest squire in the king's dominions, but the core reasoning of Orlando had more effect. He soothed than this justly offended rustic, and promising that Philip should hereafter acknowledge the impropriety of his behaviour, he prevailed on him to depart with Pattinson and some other of the men into another room, and then his brother being almost exhausted, and relapsing again into stupidity, Orlando wished to conduct him home. This was, however, on consideration, found to be impossible, for he was equally unable to ride or walk, even with the assistance which Orlando was very ready to lend him. In this dilemma nothing remained but to put him into his own bed, where, being at a great distance from Mrs. Rayland, there was no probability of her knowing the state to which his intemperaments had reduced him. This, then, he determined to do. Pattinson and a party of the men who were in habits of drinking had already withdrawn. The women were huddling away to their respective homes, and Orlando, with the help of the groom, carried off the almost senseless Philip to his own bedchamber, where he left him on his bed and then, harassed and unhappy as he was, fatigued with all that had happened, and torn to pieces with anxiety about Monomia, he yet had another task to perform, which he felt, however painful, to be necessary, and this was to walk to West Wolverton that, by his account of Philip, he might quiet the fears of his father as to his personal safety. He arrived there quite worn out with uneasiness, and the pale countenance and dishevelled hair with which he entered the parlour seemed to confirm all the fears with which the unfortunate Somerive had been tormented on account of his eldest son. He found him walking backwards and forwards in the parlour, listening to every noise, and he had passed the whole interval in this manner except that he had now and then gone upstairs to his wife, whom he had prevailed upon to go to bed, to persuade her to mitigate those fears under which he himself agonised. At this juncture the appearance of Orlando, whose looks seemed to speak only of some sad catastrophe, deprived his father for a moment of the power of asking what intelligence he brought, and when he could speak, it was only to say, Orlando, your brother, he is safe, dear sir, answered Orlando. Pray be not thus alarmed. Relate, then, cried Mr. Somerive in an eager voice. Relate where he is, wretched boy. Indeed, sir, said Orlando, extremely shocked at the look and manner of his father. You consider this matter more seriously than it deserves and are more alarmed than the occasion seems to require. He then related what had happened, 
softening however his brother's folly as much as he could and assured his father that he would take care philip should return in the morning and that mrs rayland should be kept ignorant of the confusion his intemperance had occasioned you are a noble and excellent creature orlando cried somerive with a sigh as if his heart would break but god knows what will become of your unhappy brother this relapse into debauchery so degrading awakens all my fears fears which a little subsided on his unexpected return home but it is not an hour my dear boy to detain you with the misery that i see awaits us all since you have given up your bed to philip i desire you will take one here while i hasten to quiet the anxiety which has almost overcome your poor mother who imagined nothing less than her son was drowned or that some other horrid calamity had befallen him mr somerive then departed and orlando though somewhat comforted by having the power to relieve the sad solicitude of his parents was infinitely too uneasy to feel any inclination to sleep though he was so greatly fatigued it was by this time daylight and after some reflection he resolved to return back to the hall and to await in the library the hour when he should be delivered from the unwelcome inmate whom he had been compelled to admit every other anxiety however that assailed him was unfelt when he thought of the situation in which he had left monomia the harsh tones in which the threats of mrs leonard were delivered still rung in his ears and his fancy represented the lovely victim of her ill-humour drowned in tears yielding to despair and perhaps recollecting with anguish and regret the moments she had given to his importunate love it was broad day by the time he returned to the hall and the workmen and gardeners were dispersed about the house he dared not therefore indulge himself with another visit to the turret but having with some difficulty obtained admittance from the tired and sleepy servants he wrapped himself in his great coat and sat down in the study where he easily discovered by the loud snoring from the adjoining room that philip was sleeping away the effects of the powerful draughts of the preceding night orlando half tempted to envy the state of forgetfulness into which he had fallen occupied himself in reflecting on the strange and perverse accidents of the evening in which he and monimia had trembled so often on the brink of discovery perhaps were discovered just as a time when they had flattered themselves with the resolve in that case to go to his father to declare his affection for monimia and to rescue her from tyrancy of her aunt whatever might ensue on the other hand if their acquaintance yet remained undoubtful or only suspected he saw that prudence and duty his tenderness for monimia and his affection for his father equally directed their present separation and that to whichever of these he listened they agreed in pointing out his leaving monimia now to acquire some establishment which might give them at least a probability 
without the breach of any duty, of being happily united hereafter. There was something humiliating to his ingenuous mind, in all the arts and prevarications which their clandestine correspondence compelled him to use himself, and to teach the innocent Monomia. A thousand times, a thousand times he wished that he had been born the son of a day-labourer, that his parents, entertaining for him no views of ambition, had left him to pursue his own inclinations. A thousand times he lamented that Monomia was not circumstanced like Miss Hollybourne, that he might openly have addressed her, and the image of the arrogant heiress arose with redoubled disgust to his mind, when he compared her situation with that of his desolate, orphaned Monomia. More than three hours passed away while these thoughts were fluctuating in his mind. At the end of that time he was aroused by the entrance of Betty, who pertly demanded if he did not choose any breakfast. He desired to have it brought, to which the girl replied, "'Perhaps you had rather breakfast with the old woman?' "'With whom do you mean?' inquired Orlando. "'Mean?' answered she. "'Why, who should I mean but mistress and mother Leonard? There is no other old woman in the house as I knows on, nor there had not need. They've been inquiring after you.' "'After me?' "'Yes,' replied Betty. "'And, madam, I suppose, will tie you on to her apron-string soon, for she is never easy without you. Upon my word, Orlando, you look a little rackish, though, I think for such a sober young gentleman, and considering, too, that you did not demean yourself with dancing as you used to do with us servants after the gentlefolks were gone, I warrant, however, that you did not pass the time at prayers. "'You give your tongue strange license," said Orlando, who endeavoured to conceal his vexation, for he imagined that all alluded to Monomia. However, do tell me if Mrs. Rayland wishes me to breakfast with her. "'I knows nothing about her wishes,' replied the girl. "'I only knows that Leonard have been asking every servant in the house about you, and cross-questioning one, so that I suppose she thought I had got you locked up in my cupboard, as they say she used for to have the men-folk in her younger days in the housekeeper's storeroom, the old woman, and the oven for that, set a thief to catch a thief. I too desire, said Orlando, that you would have done with all this, and tell me whether Mrs. Leonard expects me at breakfast. However, he added, pausing, I will alter my dress and wait upon her at all events, but do be so good as to prepare in the meantime some breakfast for my brother. Betty then left apparently with pleasure to execute this last commission, and Orlando, after changing his clothes, went to Mrs. Leonard's room to inquire whether Mrs. Rayland wished to speak to him, and at what time he might wait upon her. This, however, was not his only motive. He thought he should immediately discern by Mrs. Leonard's reception of him whether his fears of a partial or an entire discovery were well founded. 
he fortunately found mrs lennard in the housekeeper's room and accosting her with his usual interesting address he inquired how mrs rayland did after the fatigues of the evening how she was herself and whether he might at any time that morning make a personal inquiry after mrs rayland the sage housekeeper received his civilities with great coldness and answered even with some asperity that mrs rayland was much better than ever she could have accepted after so much company as to your inquiry after her sir she added i don't know indeed how that may be perhaps fixing on him her penetrating eyes there are other people in the house after whom you would rather ask orlando whose conscious blood rose into his cheeks at this speech felt them glow and the sensation increased his confusion no replied he hesitating no certainly you cannot suppose that there is any body that i that i wish to inquire after more than mrs rayland and i was much afraid that the fatigue would be too much for her there are other people replied the lady who were fatigued also i must beg the favour of you mr orlando not to interfere with my niece i suppose it was by your desire or contrivance that she took the liberty of leaving her room last night contrary to my positive orders orlando a little recovered from his consternation endeavoured to laugh this off and was proving to mrs lennard that it was impossible for him to have occasioned this disobedience when a summons came from her to attend mrs rayland and i was ordered sir said the footman to desire you would come up also if you were about the house mrs lennard now stalked away with great dignity and orlando followed her more than ever alarmed for monimia End of Volume 2, Chapter 11 Recording by Elaine Webb, Bristol, England